0: You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. Let's start the year off strong. Download our Unstucked budgeting guide to get unstuck in your finances to begin to understand your flow of money. Look, when I think back to when I really made a shift from living paycheck to paycheck to being able to invest and actually understand my retirement timeline, it all started with budgeting. So download our budgeting guide available in the show notes. Now on to the episode. Today, I'm joined by Thomas Drew, who's the co-founder and CEO of One & One Life. I'm so excited for this episode. I actually joined One & One as a senior product advisor And the goal of One in One is to not only educate folks on the seven dimensions of wellness, but help us all become 1% better together. This is a really special episode. I cannot wait to share all the value we dropped about wellness in general, but also we're coming out with an app this year that I'm super excited about. So stay tuned for more of that. Now on to the episode. T. Drew, what's going on, my brother? KD, what up, man? It's been a long time coming. And uh, I gave a little bit in the intro kind of your background, but this is a very special episode for me because I've been working with Drew almost feels like now 10 years and have seen just the commitment you've had to just wellness and specifically for Black people as well. And so wellness has been something where a lot of the audience has talked about being stuck. Like, where do I start with wellness? Because wellness kind of encompasses health. It encompasses Your mental health, it encompasses your environment. And we talk about this all the time. I'm a senior product advisor for one-on-one, helping them in all aspects. So again, this is a very special episode. So I have a question for you uh, that I wanted to start off with, which is, what is your earliest wellness memory? Like, what is the earliest time you remember talking about health really in any capacity? Like, does a memory jump out for you?
1: Yeah, I thought the first question was going to be, why is Khalil so awesome? I was going to be prepared to answer Oh, it. man, but, I say uh, that for the end. <laughs> <laughs> the earliest wellness memory is my mom. The reason why I say that is because I, I, I could have gone a lot of different ways with this. I was overweight growing up, got picked on, never thought I was going to grow into my body, like all this other type of stuff. But the reason why I say my mom is because she was the one that showed me the power of habit and the power of habit compounding over a long period of time because of her good habits. And so the reason why my first wellness memory is my mom is because my mom made me have all of these habits growing up from an early age. Her main thing she always harped on every single day was eat your broccoli. That was like her main thing. Eat your I broccoli. Love that. Eat something green. My mom, too. She's obsessed. Broccoli. <laughs> yeah, eat, eat something leafy, like all that. Another one of her things was drink water daily, every day. I used to grow up and see my mom walking around with this jug of water, and she would just be drinking it all day. And she would have like, it wasn't anything crazy. Not Now I have a bottle from Amazon that I have. It's like a gallon, and I walk around and drink it every day because one of my favorite hacks is most important, and this is a hack for recovery, skin, overall wellness is just drinking enough water, your body weight. Uh, you should be drinking half of that in ounces per day. So I weigh 230 pounds. I make sure I drink 115 ounces per day. And it's a habit. And so I saw her doing that growing up. Another memory from that was how she went on a walk in the morning every single day. My mom was never the type to just go crazy in the gym or, or do any of that, but it was this consistent movement, this consistent dedication to these habits. To the point where now, I mean, she's just, she's an anomaly. She's like a, she's a vampire. Like she ages backwards and not, not only that, what's even more powerful is my dad. You know, I'm very lucky to be able to say that my parents are still together and have a beautiful relationship. My dad told me directly, if it wasn't for your mother, I'd be dead. He was like, she makes me move. She makes me eat right. She makes me drink water. She makes me, all these things that she makes me do. That is where it it started for me. And that's just the physical, the mental side of it. Growing up, every single day before I went to bed, my mom would tuck me in at night and say, you're special. You could do anything you want. You could be president. You could be an astronaut. You're brilliant. You're smart. Every single night, you're my son. Every single night, I got this subconscious mental conditioning that allowed me to push through and get through all the stuff that I overcame to get to this point. And so I've always wanted to have this come full circle. And one day I will do it. I'll write a book. But the premise of the book and the core of the book is going to be about what my mother taught me and everything I learned about watching her and what she taught me from a mental and physical point of view. And not only how that became part of my DNA, but what I would be able to hope to pass to everybody else. So that's my earliest wellness memory. That's spectacular.
0: And... I'm gonna get into some stats here in a second, but I just wanted to circle and highlight, and I appreciate that you flagged this because I think when we think of wellness, I think the first place we go is either our physical activity or our diet. And I think that's about 20% of it. There's so much more and you touched on it, like environment, affirmations. We'll talk about money, uh, right? There's so many different things that affect our mental health. And I wanna give a quick shout out to my wife because I echo what your dad said to your mom, which is the same thing. Like I wouldn't be in the greatest shape Uh, If it wasn't for my wife, she's the same way. My mom is the same way. Like she always preached, you know, broccoli, even if you got to dip it in ranch, like I want you eating your leafy greens, like do what you got to do, eat your vegetables. I want to read off some statistics because you mentioned your mom being an anomaly and specifically focusing on black people here. Some of the statistics that stand out to me the most are the following. 55% of black women over the age of 20 are obese uh, compared to about 30% of black men. 56% of black men and women over the age of 20 suffer from some sort of hypertension. One statistic that I really made my jaw drop was 28% of black people report when they have a mental health crisis, and in that 28%, 21% a severe mental health issue, that they seek help compared to 40% with white people and other populations were in dead last. So listening to that initial story were both anomalies. And so I want to hear a little bit, right, from the audience perspective. Like, if I'm someone that I know I fall into this category, you talked about habits. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. But where do I start? Like, I'm someone that, man, I don't really get out that much. You know, after the pandemic, it's been really difficult to convince myself to leave. Maybe I suffer from some sort of depression or anxiety. But also on top of that, like, I just feel like the cards are stacked against me. Like, where do I
1: start? You start... I really try to simplify and break it down into three areas. And some of these areas may be hard for people to do, but you have to do them. Number one is self-awareness. You have to truly understand where you are and you have to be blatantly honest about that. You have to understand where you are, who you are, what you're good at, what you're not good at, where you truly are in your journey. Because wellness and mental health, it's not, we always say this it's not a one size fits all approach everybody's at a different place and everybody's looking for something different. Obviously, there's similarities and outliers. Number one is self-awareness. Number two is accountability. That's huge. We talk about that on here a lot. Yeah, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to compete with yourself in a healthy way, but you have to figure out how to hold yourself accountable. Some people are good at doing it by themselves. Some people need accountability partners, buddies, whatever it may be accountability is important. We talk about this all the time, Khalil. It's not like motivation comes and goes. You can't rely on motivation. You have to rely on consistency. And how do you get consistent? You get consistent by getting uncomfortable and getting habitual. That's how you get consistent. And number three, and this is where the alignment in the North Star comes in, is values. You need to understand why you want to do these things. You need to understand your your reason. So I'll give you a good example. There's many reasons why if I don't work out, if I'm not in the gym, at least, like if I miss the gym for three straight days, I start to lose my mind internally and externally. The reason why I'm so obsessed with the gym and physical fitness and and working out, sweating, lifting weights, staying in shape, hooping, all these things that I do, my main reason is because of, of my genetics, and I understand my genetic disposition, this is what I have on my mom's side of the family. I'm not saying I have this myself, but these are what family members, this is what's in my bloodline. Sickle cell, lupus, high cholesterol, diabetes, scleroderma, prostate cancer, all these things, unfortunately, and also mental health, schizophrenia, bipolar, all these things, unfortunately, are in my bloodline, and a lot of these things are the reason why both of my uncles aren't here and my grandpa, who I'm named after, isn't here either and other things. And I have prostate cancer on both sides of, of the family, on my dad's side as well. And so because of that, I know how quickly I can get out of shape, and I know that my genetics its just like everything. Your, your, your body and your mind, a lot of intelligence is genetic. A lot of your body and makeup is genetic and not to take a, a tangent, but this is why, again, wellness is one size fits all. Like the reason why people look so good after they work out or have a six-pack or all these things, all these vanity things that people try to to compare themselves to is because they have insane genetics. <laughs> you can't have, you can't. I have friends, I'll put them on the spot. My best friend from back home, Javante Ford, he's older than me. I'm getting ready to turn 31 in February. Dude is older than me. He could eat Taco Bell every day. If he worked out every day, he would have a six-pack.
0: I want to echo that, too, because I I ran track, and I remember making that distinction of, like, I'm not going pro, because once you see all the freaks out there that, like, genetically have it, and I always go back to growing up, I played AAU with Devontae Adams, so I had to guard Devontae Adams in middle school, and as I got older, I started to realize, like, this guy works really hard, but also, he's just different, like, you can just tell.
1: I had the same experience, dude. I guarded. I had to guard Lance Stevenson in AAU. Oh my god! I'm like, yo, this cat is different. Like me, you know. I, obviously, like I played college basketball for five years. Like I gave every ounce of my heart, soul, everything to the game. I gave everything I had. But I had a realization. I'm like, I think my gift is my brain. I don't think my gift is necessarily. Yeah, I'm six six and I have a seven foot wingspan. But like, I had to work insanely harder than everybody else to be able to dunk the basketball at six, six with a 7-foot wingspan. I was a good shooter. Everybody thought I was a good shooter just because it was natural. I had a sickening obsession with practicing shooting the basketball. At my junior college, I used to shoot 1,000 or 2,000 shots per day. Like, I went to my junior college as a first-year junior college guy with second-year junior college guys there. They made me team catch them because they were we have to. He works harder than everybody else. And it was the main reason, also, why I was team captain in undergrad. I wasn't the best player; I was the best leader. And I'm not saying that in like in a pompous or like egotistical way. That goes back to the self awareness. So to to tie it all together, accountability, self awareness, values is going to get you out of that slump. What's going to allow you to get to where you want to go is aligning with why you want to get there. It shouldn't be I need to look better than this girl that I'm trying to compete with, or I need to have abs because this dude that pulls all the chicks, I want to be like him. It's misaligned values. It should be, I want to lose 30 pounds because I want to feel this way. I want to fit into my clothes a certain way. I want to, like when you align it on values, it's crazy when you do the work with the why and you align on the values because then you don't need the motivation because you have your North star. That's why the work is done with brands and all these other things. That's why it's important to have a mission and values and alignment on what that North star is, because when it gets hard, that's what's going to drive you. That's the, the fire and the passion. Every single time I do not want to go to the gym, I think about my family and my genetics And me wanting to be there and run around with my kids and all this type of stuff. And I get up so fast. This isn't even in addition to like me just having this weird, crazy, burning desire to just continue to push myself and be uncomfortable. And this is in business, life, gym, everything. Once I changed my relationship with pain, that changed everything for me. Once I was like, okay, whenever I feel pain, whenever I feel being uncomfortable, it means I'm growing. That was when I made the real switch mentally. And I think people need to realize when they're trying to achieve goals, especially in wellness, it's not going to be comfortable. Now, stay in the mindset of incremental, small steps, great distances, 1% better. Stay there. But like you have to understand that it's not going to be comfortable. But in those areas of being uncomfortable, that's where everything that's worth it exists. Like that's where all the good stuff is. Absolutely. And I echo
0: all three of those things at nauseam. I know the audience sitting there nodding their head the whole time you were talking because it is so true. And down to a very tactical level, something I think people miss and you mentioned it is one setting smart goals, setting goals that align with your why and so that you can understand how this fits in. Like to your point, if you set this goal that to be better than X person or right, it automatically is going to put you in a paralysis because you don't have control over how that person looks or what they do. But if you break it down, like you said, I want to feel better. I want to, you know, lose weight. Like, it becomes a lot more tangible. And I will just want to highlight and circle, like, accountability. And I am a huge proponent of having accountability buddies. I have, at this point, three of them. They all check in in different areas of my life. I have my trainer, Colin. Shout out Colin. He's been on the show before. Gabby, she's like my business accountability buddy. And Tiff, both of the folks whom you've met. And understand, like, they move the same way. And I want to pivot because... We're getting right into where I want to talk about one and one and the co founding and you being the CEO of this wellness company. And you just articulated it so wonderfully, right? And your slogan is 1% better together. And I think that people know that, like, I can't get it all in one fell swoop, but even that 1% feels like a lot. So you need support. You need people next to you to help you lift that 1% every day and be consistent and also serve as just like subconsciously. And I know people around me are getting better and they're doing it in a way that's thoughtful and digestible and smart, I'm naturally going to follow suit. So why was it important for a one-on-one to define like the seven dimensions of wellness where classically it's only been defined as one, which is like you said, washboard abs and working out extremely hard. And before you answer that, that's a big caveat that I had to make from being a D1 athlete was not all exercise has to be this really hard, vigorous thing. I count a workout as a 15-minute walk and power walk and some abs and some squats. So talk to me about like why it was so important for One and One to educate folks on the seven dimensions of wellness.
1: So two things with that. I think two of the main problems that I think we solve or that at least I feel that we're trying to solve, number one, is that accessibility problem. People don't know what they don't know. We live in this age of of misinformation, direct information, and overstimulation. And so a lot of times the change and the switch in people's lives can be hearing the right type of information at the right time, framed in the right way to where they feel like it's 100% impactful for them. Number two is there's a fragmentation where we need to stop putting and separating mental health from physical health. That's also what And you said it, 1% better together. It's a lot in there. There's reasons why our slogan is that. The main reason why is because, you know, you go a good distance alone, but you always go further together. And, you know, using my business partner, Corey, as an example, I asked him, you know, you're on pace to losing 90 pounds. And you just told me that when you were 70, 80 pounds heavier, you were your most depressed. You didn't let me know. You let me know after the fact. And I was like, well, what, what was most important to you losing all this weight? he was like, well, you know, I had to just get uncomfortable. I had to change my habit. But like the most important was people like you cheer me on, hold me accountable. Me seeing how hard you work, me seeing you being consistent in the gym. I felt like I, I couldn't let you down along with let myself down. That's accountable. That's together. It goes to our mental health podcast too. The reason why that is so special to me is because it's an area where you can feel like you're not alone with what you're going through with mental health. And, and you know the podcast is specifically about mental health. The main thing that that's trying to solve is destigmatizing mental health, and people can go and listen, watch these celebrities and people and everybody talk about stuff that they've been through. Ah, I don't feel alone anymore. That's together. That's why it's so important and to, and to the seven dimensions, people need to understand that that wellness and when I say wellness, I'm not a wellness guru, right. I would call my business partner, Corey, a wellness guru, like he has all the certifications in the world. He's helped hundreds of people lose weight, become more fit, improve in their life. I am obsessed with self-improvement. I'm addicted to being better than I was the day before or the week before or the month before. I don't have those certifications. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a personal trainer. I put in my 10,000 hours in a lot of areas, whether it's strategy, digital marketing, branding, storytelling, all these things that, that I love and, and this coming through. But what, what I realized with myself and what I hope is the thread that everybody else is able to, to take from it is we always talk about balance. That's my word for the year. Balance. Exactly. We always talk about moderation. Eat treats in moderation. Do this in moderation, do, which is very true. It's the same way you should think about yourself as a human being. It shouldn't be all physical. It shouldn't be all mental. It shouldn't be all spiritual. It shouldn't be all social. It's a balance. It's in moderation. All these things feed into each other, similar to life in the world and those ecosystems. You know, the bee going to get pollen out of a flower, it has a connection to everything else. It's the same way with your body. So the one-in-one It begins with your mind and your body. And those things to me don't need to be separated. Mental health is where it starts. Everything starts in the mind, of course. But when something is going on in the mind, your first thought should be, what am I doing? What are my habits? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I moving? What's my environment like? Are toxic people around me? What are my relationships like? Do I have people around me that are lifting me up or do people around me continuously put me down? Am I eating whole foods? Does my whole diet processed food? What am I ingesting media-wise? What does my social media feed look like? Like, what is what's going on, right? That's not where people usually look at first. And that goes back to accountability and self-awareness. It's like, okay, if you're getting enough sleep, if you have the right relationships, if you're eating the right foods, if you're moving if you're getting sunlight, if you're doing all these things, if you're not staring at your screen all day and scrolling all day, let me know how you feel in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, everything you're saying is is wonderful. And it's what drew me to one-on-one initially is that I never really heard people talk about, like, this is so new. Like, I think because the way and the pace that media is moving, we haven't reconciled with the switch, right? Because Gen Xers and Boomers, like, they were not talking about seven dimensions of wellness to your point they were looking for the gurus to give them the the fat-burning pill or the smoothie that would give you the washboard abs like pamela anderson or whomever right was your physical idol but what you just said and i want to bring a very pertinent example and it's why my platform is going to focus on debt so heavily so for example 80 percent of americans are in debt and speaking of someone who has been in debt at one time
1: goodness that's
0: that's crazy. when I when I <laughs> oh looked at that, God. when I looked at that statistic, I was like, excuse me. And the crazy part about it is that's not including mortgage debt. So we're talking consumer debt. Does that include student loans or is that just consumer debt? That includes loans. That includes that includes that fee. So yeah, they include loans. They don't include mortgages though, because that's good debt. When you think about these areas, and when I think about my own life and all the people I've coached and the thousands of people that I've interviewed. It looks something like this. If I'm $20,000 in debt, I'm ashamed. That shame leads to my social isolation, which decreases my social wellness, decreases my mental health. I start to eat bad because one, maybe I don't think I can afford nice things or I can afford healthy food, but really it's, I'm craving the dopamine hit of, right, not having to think about debt. So your health declines. You stop working out potentially because you just feel less motivated because that debt, that weight mentally affects everything. Maybe you stop praying as much. You just feel hopeless. So your spiritual side goes down, your environment's impacting you because maybe your friends are heavy spenders. Maybe they can spend. They're not in the same environment as you. So I don't think people have connected all those dots. When I paid off all my consumer debt two years ago, I remember that day. I remember the walk. I remember the whole feeling. I literally felt like a weight was just lifted off me. And I went, wow, that explains so much. And when you start to talk about patriarchy and you start to talk about these factors that we don't control, right? Because our financial habits are set by the time we're seven years old. So you're fighting a losing battle from the start. So if you don't have folks like you or I or companies like One in One or apps that are helping with our habits, it becomes really, really difficult to change those habits. And so I always argue that your environment is one of the top areas and your finances are the biggest areas to quote unquote getting unstuck. But really. It's huge for just your overall dimensions of wellness. So I want, I save that example for this episode because I want people to start to put those things together and what you're saying, like it's all connected. And instead of, like you said, looking at one area, yes, you can focus on one area at a time, but what you'll notice is if you focus on debt or if you focus on your physical wellness, all the other areas improve. I don't want people to get overwhelmed. It's not this big thing where I have to then look at seven different dimensions of wellness but those are seven baselines that are going to be naturally affected, whether I want to bring attention to them or not. On that note, when I'm looking at, you know, tackling one of these different areas, is there an area that that you focus on more? Is is it similar to kind of what I just spoke about? But I'm curious, like what are kind of, you had to give like your top three areas of wellness that you focus on the most. Do you have them or do you encourage people to kind of find that balance?
1: Yeah, I I would say, again, it, it kind of goes back to the self-awareness where it's like, the seven dimensions is an amazing start to kind of understand where you are and how you feel personally and rank those in a way where you feel like you're being honest with yourself. If you want to simplify it even further, you can simplify it to essentially four quadrants where it's your mind, your body, your wallet, and your relationships. That's kind of how I like to simplify it even more, right? So it's like when you really think about it, those are the, the simplified... Quadrants where, if all those things are right, you're in a good place as far as what you can control. Controlling what you can control with your mind, your body, your wallet, and your relationships. And when I say relationships, that's three: it's relationships with your friends, it's relationships with your family, and it's the relationship with yourself and your self-love. And so you have to be honest with yourself. Like I, I, I know the areas where I feel like I'm lacking, and I can I can think back. When I first moved to New York, I kind of lost the connection with my spiritual side a little bit. But now I'm back there. I have, you know, uh, a spiritual advisor. I'm I'm back in that with what I believe in and who I believe in. And everybody everybody believes in something. You know, whether you don't believe in anything, you still believe in something. And so I was able to do that. Obviously, being in New York, financial <laughs> wellness is very important. Haven't always been the best with it. Still, I'm, I'm learning to this day. I like to think I'm pretty financially literate, but there's still tips and tricks and things of the trade, I could be doing much better. You know, there's things I could automate better. And I I know this, for example. And again, I'm just giving you an example of my own self-awareness. One of the main reasons why I'm so passionate about our app and what we're building there is because I want to see if it can help me create more habits, more specifically, like with meditation. It's something that I know that I need to do. I do it sparingly. I need to do it much more and I need to be much better at it. Can the app that we're creating help me do that? Yeah, and I'll say I'm in the same boat. You know, I focused a
0: lot last year on my mind and my wallet uh, and I'll say that outright and I told the audience, like, my word is balanced so that I can balance these quadrants and I always tell people that there is no destination. This is all about a fine-tuning journey and it's really important to remember that the most dominant thought that you have overarchingly about yourself, back to your self-love, is going to win and that's something that is super important that I want people to remember and as someone with ADHD, downloading the one-on-one app, which is currently in beta and then will launch at some point this year, being able to get into that app early has been wonderful, even down to just establishing a habit of putting my shoes on in the morning and getting ready for my walk has been tantamount. So it's little things add up to big things. It's that all day long. And I'm so, I so appreciate the vulnerability and you sharing that too, because I think we all kind of beat ourselves up if all seven areas or these areas that we've talked about today, even the simplified version, mind, body, wallet, relationships aren't all perfect. That's not the point. The point is to be happy and balanced most of the time. And I think that is where I want to reframe the conversation, as you know, and I want you to tell us your perception on this. But as you know, the general media has pushed perfection. They've shown us perfection. And they that's what they try to sell. And I think that's where a lot of people are getting stuck and discouraged.
1: Perfe- perfection isn't real. Like, yeah. yeah, let's just let's just start there. Yeah, so if anybody takes anything from this, what I want you to know and understand is that social media is not real. Number one, what you see on social media is a curated highlight film of what people want to show you. You should never compare what's actually going on in your life to what you see on social media because it is not an accurate portrayal or representation. For you to be comparing your life to. And that is something that can make or break you because you need to understand that you need to control what you can control. Things will happen on your time. You can only control your pace, the race that you're running. People are really good at faking now. People are so, like, people will put trips and all these other things on Instagram and be in raging debt or these trips won't even be paid by them, or they're going on these crazy trips and living what looks like this extravagant lifestyle, and they're going back to a place where they live that is not indicative of the trip that they just went on. Like, you cannot, people are very backwards, and you cannot compare what you're doing to that because you're you're fighting an unrealistic race. So your only focus should be incremental improvement. Not improvement incremental improvement because if you get one percent better each day you're three times better at the end of the year (laughs) that's 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 just a fact when i started this platform that was the north star when
0: i sat down in 2022 and i had nothing i hadn't started the business yet and i had two goals make one tiktok video where i just talk about whatever it is i'm going to talk about and show people the struggles of the beginning and middle of doing and starting anything and so that was something that I saw and have continued to see in my media. even today in my today's like LinkedIn post, where I talked about I got laid off last year and wh- how I pivoted out of corporate into working with wonderful companies like yourself, I got so many messages of people being like, "How did you find the courage to just broadcast this bad news?" And I was like, "Well, it wouldn't be authentic of me if I just shared good news all the time. And so I find that balance, even in my content I, my uh, shout out, Tiff, when we talk about this stuff, I'm like, "Give me 50 percent positive. medium and 20% bad because that's typically the balance I try to strike. It's not all good, but it's not all bad and it's not all one of the extremes. So that's something that I try to balance and educate people on is it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to not be perfect. Like we're all in the same boat. No one's perfect to your point.
1: No, you have to, especially if you're trying to build an audience, you do yourself a disservice if you're not authentic. Nobody finds somebody perfect to be relatable. How do you build an audience and a following? Whether it's a product, whether you're a, a personal brand, people have to, and, and people are really good at it nowadays. Like, it's so much media and content that people know when you're bsing. People know when you're not for real. Like, people know when you're not being transparent, when you're putting on an act, when it's just a script, and you're not genuine about what you're doing. People know that. People feel that. And and I'll give you another example: the, the people that I look up to, the people that I, you know, revere. Are the ones that are just incredible at what they do. Shout out Michelle Obama, right? And they just talk about how they could be better, or how hard it was to to get there in a vulnerable way, or this is what I know is is wrong with me, or you may see this, and I and I and I did this, but here's you know how I can improve, like because those are the people that are that are brilliant to me. And people say this all the time, but I I really, honestly, truly believe that true strength is vulnerability. Like, yes, oversharing is a thing. Yes, word vomiting is a thing. Yes, there is a thing to, to go a little bit too far. Not everybody can hold your message. Not everyone can hold your vulnerability. Yeah. But to have people understand when they watch you, read you, or listen to you, that you're being authentic and truthful and transparent and you're not afraid to show your scars and your wounds. That's what is endearing. And that is what will allow you to build whatever you're going to build in the right way. And so like, dude, I've, I've, I've told you this man, personally, professionally, everything I have, I have been through some crazy stuff. I have done some things that I definitely want to take back as far as decision-making. There's been so many times where I've just been rock bottom, beneath, close, not believed, but I fixed it. And what I've always done has been to give everything that I, I have with what I'm doing and to try my best and do everything that I can in my power and in my control to just treat people right. Step one to all of this,
0: every time I write a diagram on social media or show someone about finance or whatever it is and all these dimensions is you have to believe that you can. And I really appreciate you saying that. And I think people discount that. And if you're someone that's still at this point in the episode and you're like, okay, I got self-awareness, I got a journal, I got to do this. But like, like, I'm still stuck. Like I still haven't, you have to really journal and and spend time alone understanding potentially why you don't believe you can. And it's unlearning some of the trauma. It's unlearning some of the dialogues that you might've adopted from people you know and you don't know. It's crazy how much of a connected conscience we are, right? We all feed off of each other. And so I just wanted to to highlight that piece.
1: I mean, look, for people that don't believe in themselves, let me give you just a few things because analogies help me kind of understand a lot of stuff. Number one is like... Nobody, and I, I heard this from one of the most successful people I've ever met in my life. He was like Thomas. Nobody, nobody is going to be able to believe in you until you believe in yourself first. Nobody, absolutely nobody. That's number one. That was like a oh thing. And I'm like, as I said earlier, I came from being younger in a place where I. Almost took my own life because I was so depressed and, and didn't like myself so much. I came from that to crazy internal confidence, outward humility, and how I got there is also another thing: the work. Oh, put in the work. And and this is like why I, I looked up to Kobe Bryant so much. And the mom mentality will always like it, it'll it'll just always be a part of me. The way that you cast the fire on the doubt is you revisit the work. And if you don't put in the work, you don't deserve the belief. So what gives you the belief in your abilities, then the work doesn't have to be physical. The work can be mental. The work can be reps in whatever way reps is to you. Reps can be putting shots up. Reps can be learning skills. Reps can be personal affirmations, reps can be just output with what you're trying to do. Whenever you lose self-belief, even a little bit, you revisit the work. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and that
0: work is so important. And I want to just define that a little bit more with work, right? Like it's to your point earlier, it's, it's okay. It's, it's exploring that uncomfortability. It's experiencing pain. I think where I see a lot of ultra successful people fail too sometimes is They think they're doing the work. They're doing the work in the areas they're comfortable in, but they're neglecting all the areas that they're not comfortable in. And that's such an important thing. And I think that I'm right there with you with Mamba mentality is that's exactly what he preaches is it's easy to go do the things you're good at. It's hard to go dribble with your left hand. It's hard to shoot blindfolded. It's hard to shoot over five defenders in practice. It's hard, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I know that if if I do this, it's gonna permeate throughout the rest of my life, right? I'm gonna be okay with, having that uncomfortable conversation that might save your marriage. I'm going to be okay having that conversation with my friend that might save his life. Like this is the stuff that I want and I'm so appreciative of you for getting us here that we want to talk about that I don't think many people have the space and the environment to talk about. So thank you for that, T-Drew.
1: Yeah, and the way way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Lastly, something else just to finish that with an analogy really quick, it's why not? Because think about this. Elizabeth Holmes didn't have a product, raised $900 million from a story with no financials, from confidence and storytelling. That story is unbelievable. So if you have a legitimate idea, you can't do that. Imagine what happens if you actually have a legitimate idea and you approach a situation with that type of confidence. Of course, she's a fraud. But in order to do what she had to do, that confidence started with her. She looked in a mirror one day, as crazy as it was, and was like i'm going to embody the characteristics of a female steve jobs and i'm going to make my voice deeper and i'm going to learn how to sell this story so if you can do that with being a fraud why not do that with being legitimate the only difference is confidence and confidence is 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 reps confidence is you making a decision that okay i i got it and and here's how i'm going to exude it so like why not I say, why not me all the time? Literally, some days I'll wake up and I'm like, why not? Why
0: not me? So true. And that's as I approach my 30s, when I look back on my 20s, the biggest thing I did was run headfirst into things I was uncomfortable with and had no idea what I was doing and do it at a high volume of reps. And, you know, my health suffered a little bit. Um, I talked about having chronic kidney stones that just came from being out of balance. Like I've talked about this a lot, but I had to experience that to understand where I needed to go, where it needs to be. And so that's where I was encouraged because I have a big group of my audience. I know you're under 30. Spending your time in your 20s failing and failing upward is going to be huge for you. So T. Drew, as you think about the next two, five years of one-on-one, what like is your goal to be like, you know what, it was worth this grind. We did it. Like, What is your North Star? And I ask that to ask, how can us in the audience support you and your mission because I know everyone here is energized and fired up about being becoming 1% better together.
1: It's just impact. I mean, one in one is my bet and Corey's bet on this is how we can make the biggest positive impact to the most amount of lives while we're here through a vehicle. And the company just happens to be that vehicle. Now, what helps us do that is to understand what people need where they're struggling, where they need help. So we can continue to use our resources, capital, technology, ideas, execution to help people get there. When people create businesses and companies, there's two things where I think people miss where if they nail it, then they nail it. And one of the things is I I've heard from a lot of people where they're like, Oh, you know, a lot of people don't know what, you know, they want until you put it in front of their face. And like for, In some instances, that's true, but I operate from a consumer-first-be-obsessed-with-the-person mindset. So it's like, let's learn about what people want and need, and let's help them, and let's create something around that. And the other thing is, instead of focusing necessarily on the features and the benefits and the specs and like all these other things, let's focus on who we're trying to... Empower and galvanize and reach and who those people are, what they want, what are their values, what's their intrinsic motivation? And if that if, if whatever is there intrinsically lines up with the intrinsic DNA of our company, then everybody wins. So what helps us is how do we understand the people that are within our community, the people that use our services and products, which the majority of them are free, how do we understand where people are, who they're trying to be, and the barriers that are impacting them from getting there, and how do we help them with that through what we're doing and and, and what we're able to do? How do we do it with media and content? How do we do it with technology? And how do we do it with experiences for people, whether that be in real life or, or what have you? And so... That's all I care about. I I personally, I was just talking to my executive coach about this other day. Like what fires me up personally is, I feel like I've just been given so much. Like my parents, like my, my mom and my dad and how I'm raised and where I'm from and my DNA, which led to the support that I have And who I'm able to, to go to business with every day, you know, with my partner in business and in life, since he also is, you know, my best friend and and one of the many best friends that I'm lucky to have. I'm just so lucky, man. I have a, I have a black father that's in my life that is like my hero. (laughs) Like I have a, I have a mother that's still alive. That's my best friend. They're in love. (laughs) Like, you know, they, they. They support me. They tell me I'm special. They believed in me since I was a child and they told me I could do anything I want and they told me I was special and that I would change the world. My parents. You know how lucky that is? So because of that and getting older and understanding how lucky that is, I have so many things that drive me as far as proving people wrong. But what drives me even more is proving people right. I have this disposition to... You know, when I give, I receive. When I receive, I give. For all the gifts that I've been given, I feel like I have an obligation through the company and through who I am to help people positively as much as I can while I'm on this earth to give the universe back what it gave to me. And like that's why my desire and like my fire is like I get I get goosebumps talking about it every time because it's just different. Like I just have a my purpose through the company and through who I am is to just give at this level. So one day, maybe I'll have a feeling that I was able to make and give to the world in the, in the way that my lucky ass hand was given to me. Amen. No, oh, I love it.
0: 1% better together, make an impact. Thank you so much, T.J. I appreciate
1: you coming on today. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, bro. Thank you for
0: listening to the Unstucked podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok at unstuck.